This may be an interesting day. How many of you had a good Thanksgiving? Hallelujah. You know, be thankful unto him and bless his name. Amen. Uh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We talked about that last that the last time. We used to sing a slew of songs that was written by, uh, I believe him to be a friend of mine. I didn't know, know him. I, I knew him, uh, but I don't know that I knew him well enough that I could call him a friend, except in Jesus. And uh, his name was Ted Sanquist, and he pastored, I don't know if he still does, but he pastored Covenant Love in uh, Ithaca. And um, he, he wrote and recorded something like 50 songs and uh, several albums. And Phil Kagi and uh, others uh, sang with him. And uh, I, for my personal enjoyment in worship, he sang some of the ones, songs that I just absolutely loved. And uh, they just touched me in a way. And um, he, um, he had a song that said, All that I can do is thank him. And it comes from a scripture I said last week, Psalm 116, which was also quoted, the first verse was quoted a while ago. And that is, I love the Lord because he hears my prayers and answers them. And that was quoted a while ago. And uh, I was, I, I was going to say, I really loved, the, I loved the, uh, the body life ministry with the prophecies and such. Uh, but I have to say, uh, Rakesh, that really touched my heart. I, I really was, uh, came in. I really appreciate that. Uh, love the Lord for it. And they were all just precious. And so uh, one of the songs that uh, Ted Sanquist wrote and sang was uh, from Psalm 116 later on. And it's taken from the verses, What shall I give unto the Lord for all he's done for me? I'll take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And that's just one area that it's taken from. And we sang a song, it wasn't his, What shall I give unto the Lord for all he's done for me? I'll take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, And that's what we were doing a while ago, calling on the name of the Lord. But uh, Ted Sanquist's song goes like this. All that I can do is thank you. All that I can do is pray. All that I can do is lift my hands to sing your praise. And that was the chorus uh, to that song. All that I can do is thank you or thank him, whichever way you want to sing it. All that I can do is pray. All that I can do. And he says, lift my hands to sing his praise. Lifting of the hands is we do that because it's first of all, it says to do it in the Bible. Lift it. And it says in the Old Testament in the Psalms uh, three times. It also says in the New Testament, uh, Paul says, I would that men everywhere would lift up holy hands, praying without wrath or doubting. 
right? So in the, in the, in the Psalms, though, it said the lifting of the hands is as the, the evening sacrifice. Now, what's interesting about that is the Psalms were written during the time of the, of the uh, Tabernacle of David, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept in a tent where um, all, there was no Holy of Holies. There was nothing keeping from people from being there with the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and they just sang and worshipped around it 24-7 for 50 years. 50 years, 24-7 during the time of David. Now the tabernacle of Moses, where it had been before, 100 years before, uh, was existed. And they still did animal sacrifices in there. But in the tabernacle of David, they only had the sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of thanksgiving. And they said that in the tabernacle of David, the lifting of the hands is as the evening sacrifice. Well, the evening sacrifice was done by the high priest. And what they would do, you've heard this before, they had a censer that had uh, hot coals on it. And they would drop incense. And as you know from uh, Revelation and from other places, that incense, the smell and the fragrance that was going up was a uh, was symbolic of our prayers, the prayers of the saints. Your prayers and praise is bottled in a spiritual bottle in heaven. There is a fragrance of your your bottle. God and God takes these in and He smells of them. He smells of them when they rise. There is an odor that. Uh, a, a, a beautiful fragrance that that came that comes when we sing to praise, and when we lift our hands. Now, I've I've heard many ways of describing why we lift our hands, and all of them are beautiful. Okay, uh, the one one of my favorites is Judson Cornwall. Used to who his ministry was talking about praise and worship. Judson Cornwall would say that it's like what a child does. When he wants you to pick him up, he holds his hands up to his daddy or his mommy. Okay, so that was another one. Another one is uh, the universal sign of surrender is like this, you know, and that's a good one. But the biblical one is it's as if the, the evening sacrifice. And what's important about this, and, and uh, there's a man who is another Messianic Jew, Messianic Jew, Messianic, for those you don't know, is the Hebrew version of Christ. Okay. Messiah in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word, uh, taken from the Hebrew word, Mashiach or Hamashiach, Masaka, is taken, is translated from the Hebrew into Messiah. When it's translated into Greek, it's Christos or Christ. Okay. But it's the same word. Okay, and so when it says messianic, it means uh, a Jew that believes that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah. And so there was this. There's this guy whose ministry. Uh, there's a lot of messianic uh, churches around. Seed of Abraham in Albany is a messianic church, and they're primarily. It's not just exclusive to to Jews, but it's they're Christian Jews. And Dick Rubin is one of those messianic Jews that try that uh, 
travels and speaks and he preaches about the tabernacle of Moses. And I've, I've, I've listened to his tapes to where I just, it's, they're, they're beautiful. To, the, the way incense is taken, it's just, it, it describes so much of, of, of even the crucifixion. <laughs> but I'm not going to go into that right now. But uh, Dick Rubin would say that if you know the veil that was uh, between the inner court or the inner sanctuary and the Holy of Holies, there was a veil that, and on the other side of that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. And so that veil was like a foot thick and it had, was, it was seamless. It was connected at the wall. It was connected at the bottom. It was connected at the top. Now there was an old uh, message that I, I've heard many, many preachers preach. And it was that uh, in the time of uh, the tabernacle of Moses, that uh, the young guys would go in as the high priest was preparing the sacrifice and tie a rope around his ankle. Now, uh, he would wear a, the, in, the, in the Holy of Holies, he would wear the tunic that had bells and pomegranates all around it. And the bells would make a soft sound. And as he went into the Holy of Holies, the, whole, the high priest, it says the young men would have the uh, rope. And when the, uh, uh, if the bell stopped making a sound, they would know he had done something wrong. And so they would drag his body out. All right. Now, I've heard that probably three times in my life from three different preachers. Dick Rubin says that is absolutely not true. Absolutely not biblical. And he says, I'll give, I'll give, and he says this, and this is his words, not mine. But he says, I will give anyone $500 if they can show me in the scripture where that is true in any place. And he says, and you know, in his words, if a Jew is willing to give you $500 to prove something, you know he's right. I'm just, just saying that he said that. And he was trying to prove a point and he proved it. No, but because you know what? So what, what happened is, first of all, he didn't, the high priest, and, and, and Dick Rubin proves this, he didn't wear the tunic when he went in. So he didn't have the bells and the pomegranates shaking around him. Secondly, when he, when he went into the Holy of Holies, there was no way to get into the Holy of Holies. There was no way to drag him out. I mean, it would have been impossible. They, when the tabernacle, when the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, the only way that they could get in there without tearing it apart, according to Dick Rubin, would be to they they would go in with the censer in their hands and they would raise it to heaven like this. That's another thing. How are you going to get under or around or through the slot doing that? The only way that they could get through is by supernaturally passing through it. All right? And, uh, you know, this is the case. How could they then, if this is such a... Th- obstacle is in their way to get into the presence of God 
how can they uh, have the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the middle of the Tabernacle of David? Because you, if you know anything, when they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the Tabernacle of David, they were brought it on an ox cart and it tipped. And Uzzah went up to stop it from falling and, it's, and he fell dead. And David got angry and went to God and said, I was trying to do something really special for you. And you killed my number one, you know, man here, Uzzah and Ahiah were the two, two of his best, his two best men. And he says, and so he wasn't, and it was, uh, incidentally, it was the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the house of a man called Obed-Edom. Which is very significant because the word Obed-Edom, anytime you see in Hebrew the word Obed, like Obadiah, you know what Obadiah means? Servant of Yahweh, servant of Jehovah, right? Anytime you see that Obed, it means servant of. Obed-Edom, you know Edom was? Edom was what? The name that was given to Esau. Now why is that significant? Because when uh, Ahia or Uzzah was, fell dead. It was at the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom happened to be a doorkeeper at the tabernacle of Moses. And it stayed in his house and nothing bad happened. And there's two reasons for that. Obed-Edom respected it the way it was supposed to be respected. And the second one was, is because Obed-Edom means Servant of Edom or servant of Esau. It was just a name that means that. It didn't mean that he was. But it's so interesting that the tabernacle of David represented God coming back and saving the Gentiles. And Esau in, in, in Amos the ninth chapter is the name that is used for the Gentiles. I mean, it just all fits together so amazingly. So anyway, David goes, he's angry. And God says, <laughs> If you're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, you're going to show it the proper protocol and respect that is required of it. So he brought it back to the tabernacle that he pitched. That wasn't the wrong thing. They brought it in. Uh, they had one sacrifice at the tabernacle of David. One sacrifice. They brought it. Never had a sacrifice there again. Why was that? Because Jesus is the one sacrifice. You know, and it, I mean, it's just all is reflection and it's all symbolic. And they brought it into the tabernacle of Moses. Now the common man could go in and it represented the restoration of the priesthood, which is exactly what happened when Jesus saves the Gentiles, the restoration of the priesthood. And they would sing and worship them. And so the psalmist would say, lifting of the hands in the presence of God is as the evening sacrifice. And so when we raise our hands in praise and worship like this, I, I, I will do it like this. I will do it like this. I'm not, I'm not locked into any kind of, you know, method or anything. But at one time, I try to do this. I do it because it's symbolic of the prayers in the... And the, why, why is that so important? You see, because see... It was the censer and the prayers on those hot coals as 
the priest would hold that up, he would supernaturally go through the veil. And you know what was done away in Christ? The veil. So we supernaturally can go into the presence of Almighty God. And there are many protocols, protocols for doing it. And one of them is on bended knee, I come. We bow down. I bow down before the holy throne. You come into his presence with humility and humble because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the creator of the universe. I have been studying uh, Isaiah 53. It hasn't been a design by design as much as it just seems to happen all the time. I am drawn to it like a like a moth to a flame or, you know, like a magnet. And I read it all the time. And it's beginning to get to me in a good way. But, okay, put up uh, Isaiah 64, please. Isaiah. I was talking to Pastor Norm. Norm and I have this, it took me a long time before I finally did it. But Norm says I'm always, he's always up till two o'clock and uh, at least, and that I can call him anytime before two o'clock. And so I usually call him at midnight. Last night I called him at 1120 and we talked till 10 minutes till one, you know. Oh no, 10 minutes till two, I'm sorry. So we talk for two and a half hours, you know. And uh, we talk all the time. And he always says, what you going to preach on tomorrow? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I, I, I didn't. I, I, I was thinking, well, Lord, you, 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 it's not from lack of things to share. I, you know, I can talk a lot. Um, I want to try to give you a, a feeling, a spiritual feeling, a discerning. That's what feeling in the spirit is called discernment. That's the definition of the word. It's a spiritual feeling, you know. It's like you discern it with your spiritual eyes or your spiritual taste or your spiritual nose smell, you know. And so I want to give you a spiritual feeling toward the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, some people, especially in the, in the, uh, the uh, Christian, Ju- Judeo-Christian circles, believe that in, in, and outside the circles as well, believe that Isaiah may have been the greatest writer of all time, and especially the greatest orator of all time. So when he went into the presence of God in Isaiah 6, the first thing he says is, I'm a man of unclean lips, which is kind of ironic because his lips, his mouth, was his greatest gift. And he saw in the presence of a holy God, what is greatest of me is unclean. And unless God is in it, it it is, unless God builds a house, he, a man that labors, labors in vain. Hello? All right. We're going to connect the dots here in just a minute. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. I am seeing something in prayer 
and in the presence of the Lord and in studying Isaiah, something that is, um, can be a little disturbing, right? Because what you have, and, and, and you can even challenge me on that. It's okay. Um, I don't want to attach human traits to our God, our Lord. But I see human traits in him, not, not that he got from us, that we got from him. And there's one thing about God is he, and he, I think he kind of, unless there's a righteous indignation in us for, for something really truly righteous, uh, that he has, he, he's an angry God. And it's reflected in the book of Isaiah. You know, uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote uh, or has a sermon, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. And what you see, in my opinion, okay, is in the book of Isaiah, you see this coming out, that he's angry with Israel. He's angry with mankind. And then you see the sight of him that says, you know, I love, I love you though. It's, it's like, in my estimation, I see God kind of battling with himself. Now in Isaiah, it says he, that he, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And I can see him struggling with himself. And I don't want to humanize him, but I see this in Isaiah. You know, I see it the same thing in God the Son when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's that same. He was God. And yet he was sweating great drops of blood in such pressure and saying, Lord, if this can pass from me, let it pass. But on the other, but thy will be done. And I think that God the Father, and there are many references. There's seven songs in, in Isaiah that are talked about. They're called the servant songs. And they're about Jesus Christ. The Messiah is a servant. And they're so uh, confusing to some Jewish people that they actually thought there must be two Messiahs. You know, because they understood, you know, kind of the lion part of the Messiah, but they didn't understand the lamb part of the Messiah. They didn't realize that it was all in one, the lion and the lamb. And you see a lion, uh, you see God as a lion and you see him as a lamb and you see struggling with how Israel has forsaken him and yet he still loves them. And there's a representation and symbolic of, of mankind in it. And so I'm reading, and it sounds almost like he kind of goes back and forth. And when you hear Isaiah asking and praying, it, it, it is also God speaking through him. And sometimes God speaks directly. But when Isaiah himself is saying something, he is being an instrument of God. And so this psalm in particular, well, all of them, you could just go through the whole book. And I'm telling you, that if you don't understand what I'm trying to say here, you can get like God has kind of uh, what, what, what we would talk in negative terms, schizo, you know, a, a schizophrenic or something. You know, but there's, there's something going on that is beautiful in it. 
And here it, here it shows this same thing here. And it says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Now this is Isaiah talking about. And he says, Oh God. And you see in Isaiah this anger. Because mankind has forsaken. The Israel had forsaken God. And so Isaiah, and you also see the same character. Isaiah isn't reflecting his character as a man. He's also reflecting God's thinking. And so he said, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Oh, that you would just rip open the heavens. That thou wouldest come down. That the mountains might flow down in the presence. You know, there's this, there's this, this, this feeling, this, you know, <laughs> I had a, a special time praying and, and in the presence of God. And I was going through this, this, uh, I, what I'm talking about, right? That's the only way. It says, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causes the waters to boil. This is Isaiah saying, Oh God, that you would come and just boil the earth, you know, symbolically, right? To make thy name known to your adversaries. Not only Jews, but he said to tell, you know, to, 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 to speak against those that arise up against you. It says that the nations may tremble at thy presence. He's asking, he's asking God to show yourself strong. You know, there's some, there are other verses. Isaiah 40 is especially one. It starts off with a prophecy concerning the coming of Christ. And it says, every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be brought low. And that's not talking about, you know, something. That's talking about Jesus coming. And he's going he's to bring them valleys full and the mountains low. Then he goes on to say, you know, he says, what are you anyways? What are you? You're just men. You're just men. You're nothing. You're just ants to be stepped on. Now, God doesn't actually say that. But what he's saying there is he's bringing a perspective of who he is and who we are. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man that thou visitest him. Nothing. There's a good word. Don't anybody leave yet. <laughs> All right. Isaiah 40, he says, he says, God, God says, my hand spans the universe says the sky, but it's talking about the universe. From my fingertip, you know how many millions of galaxies there are in the universe? My fingertip to the thumb covers the whole of them. The earth, I, I straddle the earth and ride like a, like a donkey. You know, you could burn up every Wood every tree in this, in the world. You can burn up all the logs and the trees in Lebanon. So that you could produce a fire and kill, kill every animal and slaughter every animal. And it wouldn't be enough to satisfy me. You get it? You see that? You hear it? And he goes on and he, he says these, these things. He says, you men, they take gold and they melt it and they make a God out of it. 
and they worship it. And if you're a poor man, you just get a stick that endures, you know, that, that won't rot real soon. And you carve it up and you worship it. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. this was in a different time. No, it isn't. It's today. Hello? When thou didst terrible things which we look not for, thou camest down, the mountains flowed down at thy presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath I seen, O God, beside thee. In other words, he's saying, all the gods that they worship, they haven't seen the creation like God is. Oh, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. You know, that is one of those ironies of everything. Man has not begun to see what God will do in the life of a man that is totally dedicated, sold out for him. That's what he's saying. He says it several times. That's also a quote from D.L. Moody. The world has not seen yet what God will do through the man that is sold out. It's like Ryan used to say, I'm all in. It's a poker term. It means I, I bet everything. Everything I got on this one pot. I bet everything on Jesus. Whoo, hallelujah. Thou, thou meetest him that rejoice that worketh righteousness. Those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth. You know what wroth means? Wrath. Only with an oth instead of the ath. Wrath. Thou art wrath. For we have sinned in those in continuance and we shall, but listen to that, and we shall be saved. Do you see that? That, that almost like we are doomed. There is no hope. Yes, there is. <laughs> Hallelujah. Next verse. But we are all like as unclean thing, as an unclean thing. You know, that's about the filthiest thing that you could imagine what this is in saying it. And all our righteousness is as filthy rags. Has a, has a double meaning, maybe a triple meaning in this. It means this. That all the things you think you can do to earn a, a, a place in God's kingdom, to earn a place in His presence, are filthy. Just like Isaiah's mouth was an unclean lip. Everything you've got that you think is good... If, you, if that's what you're depending on you, depending on getting to God, you're not going to make it. It's as filthy rags to God. Hello? Anything you're relying on for your salvation, apart from the blood and the mercy and the grace of God, you're doomed. Okay, so it says, there's filthy rags and we do all, we all do fade as a leaf. You know, there's several references. We're all like a grass of a field which groweth up today and tomorrow is cast into the oven. That's repeated in the, in the Bible. And our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Next verse. There is none that calleth upon thy name. You get the, get the picture here? That stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. 
Watch this. But now, but now, one of the sermons I was going to preach, I, uh, last two Sundays I didn't even preach the sermon I was going to preach. Yeah, I was happy. Like I said, I talked to Norm Moran, he always says, what are you going to preach on? This time I said, I don't know. It might be this, might be that, might be this, might be this, might be nothing. I don't know. He says, yeah, that's the way it, kind of way it was with me in church. Sometimes it was a song that was sung. Sometimes it is a song that's sung. Or a word that comes out that gets me. All right? I don't know where I was going with that, but who, yeah. But now, oh yes. <laughs> Thank you. Now. Now is the acceptable time for salvation. Now is, the, is faith the substance of things hoped for. God says now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now. But now, O Lord, thou art our Father. Now you, you see this angry, great, majestic, mighty God start crumbling down. I'm your daddy. I'm your father. We are the clay. And thou art the potter. And we all are the work of thy hands. We're going to stop right there. But I am the potter. He is the potter. We are the clay. We are the work of his hands. You know, I see this. I saw in in my dreams. I was half dreaming, half praying. And it was just an amazing time I had with the Lord. And I see this conversation that he is having with his son. I see him having the conversation. There are so many messianic verses in the book of Isaiah. Not just the songs, but so many references. Uh, Many, many theologians call it the fifth gospel. It is so, so heavy and so beautiful. And I see this conversation. Just as I see Jesus saying to the, to the Father, can this pass from me? I see this almost argument that God has with himself. Now that's, that's the thing that's probably going to get me in trouble. God is God. <laughs> it is he that made us and not we ourselves. He is our creator. He is the boss. He is the Lord. But I see him struggling with himself over us. One part of himself wants to squish us. And then he gets reminded, either by his servants who are led by him to remind him that he loves us. And it's like, it's like him talking to Jesus. Can you, I, I'm, I, this is going to be my imagination, okay? Just live, live with that, okay? And, uh, but I see it from Isaiah. I get it from Isaiah. And I see God having this talk with Jesus. And Jesus has come to do the will of the Father. He has come to die for us. He has come, and it says in Isaiah, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Please the Lord to bruise him? Yes and no. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It was the love of God that was pleased the Lord to bruise him. 
Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. The shame. Whose shame? My shame. God says, I want to call... Let me do this, okay? I'm not, I'm not, I love you, and I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about me going in a crazy direction right now. Crazy. Crazy for feeling so. The father's talking, says, I'm going to cancel. I don't want you to go. This son, yeah, I don't want you to go. I don't want, I don't, for the, for the, God so loved the world, He gave His Son. I changed my mind. I, I love the world, but not that much. I'm not going to give my Son up for the world. I'm not going to do it. Jesus. But Father, we, we talked about this in heaven, remember? Before the foundation of the world that I was going to come and save the world. But in order to do that, I'm going to have to take the sins. I'm going to have to take your wrath. That is biblical. That when Jesus was crucified, the wrath of God that was on us was put on him. That's biblical. And the son says, I have to bear the wrath, the iniquities, the shame, the pain, the trouble, the infirmities. I have to bear it all. And the father says, I've changed my mind. I don't want you to do that because I don't love them that much. And Jesus says, now, dad, you know, you, you know, you love them. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, you love them, but I don't want to give you up. He says, I know, but I love them too. And this is what we talked about to save them. We're going to have to die for them. Oh, son, I'm so angry. I don't want to pour it out on you. I want to pour it out on them. And Jesus says, but you, Father, we love them. And the Father agrees. Now, did it happen just like that? I don't know. I do know that the Bible says he poured his wrath out on his son. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruise him means to pierce him through all the way. That's what that word bruised means. Like having a nail and nail through his hand. It pleased the Lord that he made his grave with the wicked, it says, in his deaths. And no, there wasn't anything on the face of the earth that grieved the father more than to see his son die. You see this all the way. God argued. He wants to destroy Israel. He wants to destroy the world. And then he goes back, but I love him. But I love him. I love him. Hallelujah. 
can you just get a picture here of how that this is no game. This isn't, oh, I'm saved, I'll go do what I want to do. It isn't. <laughs> he paid a price. And that price was worth every atom in your body. Do you know they have discovered that it is not the uh, electrons flowing around the neutron, you know, with a proton in it that keeps it together. They have finally discovered that there is something in that atom and they call it, they don't know what to call it, but they know it's holding it together. And it's called, they call it cosmic glue. And they don't know what it is. It's like light. Nobody knows what light is. So they just give it a name. And you know what that means? That every atom in your body is held together by cosmic glue. And it's my opinion, that's the grace of God. Hallelujah. Right. I'm held together by the grace of God. Anytime he wanted to, he could just wash his hands of the whole thing. But you know what? He swore by himself. He swore by himself. That also is scriptural. He says, I have no one to make me do it except me myself. Because I'm going to have to make myself do this. Because I'm very angry. But I also love you very much. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, God, I love you. I go, well, your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I just want you to know, if you think that's what I was doing up here was kind of a little over the top, you should have been in my prayers. Uh, it was something else. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We lift up holy hands to you. And all that we can do is thank you. We got nothing, Lord. I've got nothing to give. All I can do is take. I'm like the baby in the mother's arm. All I do is take. And all you do is give. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you, Lord, that you don't pour our, pour your wrath down upon us, but you've poured it down on your son. Thank you, Jesus, that you you took our iniquities. You bore our sins. You bore... Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Hallelujah. Behold, you stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, you will come in to him and sup with him. Lord, we hear you knocking at our door and we open the door to let you come in and sup with us right now as we break bread. Hallelujah. In Jesus' holy name. Hallelujah. Amen.